Historically, we have said, um, as an industry, board members don't discuss HOA business by email. That constitutes a board meeting, essentially, by the Open Meeting Act. And now there's been new case law that is developed that might shift how we think about that topic. They looked at what is the definition of a meeting and what does the Open Meeting Act say about boards taking action outside meetings. We can go have board discussions by email now and don't, we don't have to worry about anything. Jeff Beaumont said that we could. And uh, if they were to continue watching or listening, they're going to hear that maybe Jeff still has some concerns. That's not going to make you terribly popular in, in that regard. But uh, what, what are your concerns in that respect? Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I am Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is about board communication by email, and specifically how board members discuss HOA business through email. And there have been some recent developments and changes that might affect how board members think about that now compared to in the past. And uh, here to help us think that through and to talk about uh, this topic is uh, attorney Jeff Beaumont. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, glad to uh, to have you here. I know this is a topic that you've uh, spent some time looking at, especially recently. So if I was, let me just try to kind of lay the groundwork for what I understand this to be. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, and then we'll dig in. But historically, we have said, um, as an industry, board members don't discuss HOA business by email. That constitutes a board meeting, essentially, by the Open Meeting Act. And now there's been new case law that is developed that might shift how we think about that topic. Is that a fair kind of just overall introduction to the topic? Very fair. Okay. So, Outline where, where things have been historically. Why, um, why have we discouraged board members from talking about HOA business by email? That, that's a great question because that's where this court started their discussion. And what we always understood the Davis-Sterling Act to say is, and we looked at two areas of law. First was just the definition of a meeting. And when you look at the Davis-Sterling Act, it defines a meeting as a congregation, and, and that's key, I'll come back to that, a congregation of a quorum or more of the board at the same time, place to discuss, deliberate, take action, or even hear anything that falls within the authority of the board. So that right there defines a meeting. Okay, so if I can just say that back more simply, yeah, the the definition of a meeting is the, the, the gathering together of a quorum of the board to talk about HOA business. Exactly. Okay. But not only to talk, to hear. Okay. It can include hear, which throws in a little wrinkle when you have committees, for example, and board members want to go to committee meetings to sit and listen. Okay. So that's come up in the past. Okay. All right. So let's now fast forward to, from the definition of a meeting to the Open Meeting Act is another area of the Davis-Sterling Act that says... Boards can't take action outside meetings, especially by a series of emails, unless it's an emergency. So um, 
backing up, does the Open Meeting Act specifically address emails? Yes. And it's, so the, the Open Meeting Act specifically says a board cannot take action, even by email, outside of a board meeting. Correct. Okay. Unless to address an emergency, and in that case, every board member has to agree it's an emergency that could be taken by email, and then once that's agreed, then a majority of the board decides the issue. Okay, so this is even something that I didn't know. Um, every board member has to agree that it's an emergency, and that, I would assume, is something that should be documented in the minutes of that type of a decision. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And and, and when we go through this case, you'll realize why, how important that is to document these little procedural requirements because in the case of Alta Del Mar, which just came down in August, the court was actually asked and required to address all these claims. And one of the claims was these board members were taking action by email and therefore they're the target of a lawsuit for alleged violations of the Open Meeting Act. Okay, so before we get to Alta Del Mar, um, we, we have... Um, we have civil code that prohibits specifically board members from taking action by email for association business, apart from those provisions to take um, emergency action. Does taking action include just discussing HOA business by email? That's where we had always focused on the meeting, the definition of a meeting to include not just taking action, but hearing Deliberating, deliberating means talking. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that the interpretation has always been with my firm and, and my colleagues that um, taking action outside a meeting includes just discussing items, not necessarily making decisions. So up until Alta Dolmar, we can talk about how and if that changes anything, but the, the council is board members do not discuss um, HOA business by email. Now, one, um, uh, one consideration that I've seen boards do is they say, okay, we can discuss by email certain topics um, as long as we don't have a quorum of the board on the email. So maybe two board members with the manager discussing certain topics, and then the manager relays that information to the other board members. Um, comment on, on the validity of, of doing something like that. I, I in, think in the past. Sure. I, I think that was um, and still is a viable option. Okay. And it, it, it upheld the spirit of the law. It allowed board members to communicate. Um, it, it also um, protected the integrity of the board and management from um, homeowners claiming that there were attempts to um, circumvent the Open Meeting Act. Um, and it also, I think, um, is necessary for boards to be able to communicate with each other. Yeah. Uh, if you think about just the basics, um, there's a lot that needs to be discussed in preparation for board meetings and other things. Right. So um, to uh, to just maybe underline this this last this last point, um, board members could discuss association business as long as there's not a quorum of the board. Um, but that does not mean, uh, for example, if somebody was to argue, let me just, I just want to stretch this one step further. You have all five board members copied on an email, but only two board members are talking about it. That, um, that would be at least historically a violation of the open meeting act because 
even if you have three board members who aren't participating, they still theoretically are, are hearing or reading the discussion. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So now what changes with Alta Del Mar? What, well, what happened in that case? So uh, Alta Del Mar, it, it's hot off the press that late, late last month, this court of appeal decision came down. So it, to give you context, it went from a trial court to the court of appeal and the court of appeal reviewed this decision from this trial court. Um, interesting community, 10 homes, in San Diego, and um, two homeowners who were really LLCs sued the board. And how many people were on the board? Five. So you have half of the community on the board in yes. this particular case. Yes. All right. Yeah. So um, what led up to this lawsuit was a prior lawsuit um, involving the same individuals challenging an election. So a lot of conflict in this community. It doesn't seem like, okay, that would be just my own side comment, but it doesn't seem like an election that has only 10 homes is going to be all that complicated. Right, <laughs> right. And, and that should right there tell you um, how um, this community handles conflict. Yeah. And, and so here we have this lawsuit where these two homeowners are claiming the board violated the Open Meeting Act um, by engaging in email discussions outside a board meeting. And in this case, the court just succinctly by bullet points listed this email talking about agenda items, this email talking about the homeowners that are suing their landscape plans. Um, so this really arose from a dispute regarding the homeowners application for um, landscape improvements. Okay. So um, what did the, the court end up doing with this case? So uh, once you go through the facts and you see all these emails that are cited, some of which aren't necessarily nice. Um, so that is something that we should discuss a little later. But um, the court went through all these emails and then got to the issue, which is now the homeowners are claiming that these email discussions violate the Open Meeting Act. We need to decide if that's the case. And, and what happened was, going back to our our prior discussion about the Open Meeting Act, the court did the same thing. They looked at what is the definition of a meeting and what does the Open Meeting Act say about boards taking action outside meetings. And so the court looked at the definition of a meeting and, and hit on that term I kind of emphasized earlier, which is congregation. Hmm. And the court, in essence, said a congregation, as intended by the legislature, was for a board and a homeowners association to get together in a physical location where homeowners could participate in that meeting and meet to talk here, deliberate on something that's going to be decided by the board and decided that email communications is not a congregation. Okay. So what are the implications of that decision? So what, what, what happened was, is, you know, litigation is about ping pong, right? One side hits the ball over, then you have to hit the ball back. So before the court made an ultimate decision, they looked at the associations um, or the response from the, uh, homeowners that brought the lawsuit and said, well, hold on. A congregation is where board members get together by email because they're exchanging emails uh, with each other. And that is a gathering in, in, in cyberspace. And the court said, come on. Emails can be sent from offices, from homes, uh, one in the morning, one late at night. So they dismissed that argument and ultimately decided that um, boards can communicate by email it's not a meeting. And if you look at the Open Meeting Act and how it discusses um, email communications, it talks about it in terms of an emergency meeting and says that 
their decision isn't doesn't conf, is not in conflict with the Open Meeting Act because their decision is yes, boards can discuss matters by email because that's not a meeting as long as decisions aren't being made and only discussions. And by the way, if a decision is going to be made, the Open Meeting Act says it could be done by email as long as it's an emergency. All right. So let me shine a spotlight on what you just said. So previous to this case, the, the, the industry understanding relating to the Open Meeting Act was boards don't discuss any HOA business by email. Now, because of this case, the case, the, the, the court has ruled that discussion by an, a quorum of the board by email is acceptable as long as they don't make decisions and while still understanding that the provision for emergency emergency decisions still stands that uh, as it did previously. But the, the big shift here is that the court has made a ruling that board discussion by email, even by the whole board is now acceptable where previously we thought that it was not that uh, an, an appropriate summary of, of, what the case uh, resulted in. Spot on. All right. So now uh, if anybody watches this episode or listens to this episode to this point, they're going to think, great, um, we can go have board discussions by email now and don't we don't have to worry about anything. Jeff Beaumont said that we could. And uh, if they were to continue watching or listening, they're going to hear that maybe Jeff still has some concerns about board discussions by email. So um, that's not going to make you terribly popular in, in that regard. But uh, what, what are your concerns in that, in that respect? Well, number one, I, I think this case brings clarity to a not so clear issue, which is good. Um, we have to be careful because number one, this is a court of appeal decision. It could be appealed to the California Supreme Court and the decision could be overturned. Do we have any indications as to whether that May or may not happen. Not at this point. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we will find out in the next couple months. Okay. Um, so that's a concern. Uh, the other concern is that um, having done a lot of trial work, and I, I still do trial work, um, when you're in a courtroom in front of a judge or jury, it's very uncomfortable sitting next to your board management team, whoever's named in the lawsuit, and seeing their emails blown up on a screen in front of everybody um, and having every word picked apart. So people have to understand that when you're sending emails, they're discoverable and can be used against you and often are. So that goes back to um, your point where you said some of these emails were not so nice. Now all of a sudden you have them blown up for the whole world to see and to pick apart and understand. And um, if I'm hearing you right, there are two consequences of that. One, just personally, that may not be good for you as a human being. Um, and two, um, you, you put things in black and white in writing and now potential liability, um, can be significantly increased, um, because it's just laid so bare for everybody to see. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what, what also concerns me is that through email communications, which we've, we've all learned, um, at some point in time, there could be misunderstandings or, or, or a certain tone can be taken away from an email that wasn't intended. And, and from an attorney's perspective, looking out for the best interests of my client and its board, um, seeing boards communicate by email concerns me 
with respect to increased risk of conflict amongst board members, which is, which is always a concern. So I think if there's an increase in volume of emails between board members, um, it also presents an increased risk of conflict. So increased risk of, risk of conflict, um, increased tangible evidence that can be used against you in, uh, in various ways. Um, there's also a, a factor I know we've previously discussed um, where whether it be real or perceived, there is um, uh, a perception of, of lack of transparency to the membership. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. that's going to create other, other types of um, deterioration of trust from the membership to the board or even um, encourage conflict between the homeowners and the board members. Right. And, and I've, we've all been in meetings and I think um, we, we understand that we're there to provide a service to the homeowners. And um, there have been times where I, I've witnessed firsthand where homeowners have expressed frustrated frustration, feeling as if the board had already discussed items and just came into the meeting ready just to make those decisions without any deliberation, without yeah. the homeowners being able to participate. And that's a concern yeah. as well. So what about personal liability of board members because of this type of email communication? Um, uh, somebody puts something in writing that could be considered potentially liable about a homeowner in the community and nobody knows about it, but then there is uh, some type of lawsuit or um, some type of, of um, legal action that uh, accesses those emails and they're looking for something totally different. But what comes out in this is, Hey, this board member wrote, you know, this sentence about this homeowner and maybe there's a, a, um, a libel claim. Am I overthinking that? Or is that within the, the uh, part of the concerns? Uh, it's part of the concerns. I, I, I've been involved in a case where, um, a board was meeting an executive session in a clubhouse during the summer, the windows were open. A board member was, having a conversation about a, a homeowner um, in a not-so-great light, people were outside that room listening to this, and it got back to that homeowner, and that homeowner sued that board member for defamation. The same could happen if that took place by email. So I think there is some personal liability exposure if board members are communicating by email and happen to be talking about fellow homeowners, for example. And in fact, in this case... One of the emails that were that was highlighted was a email from a board member that was criticizing and 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 almost I think um, attacking one of the plaintiffs, um, and the court focused on that email. Now, did the court focus on that email and and not award the association its attorneys fees because these emails were were, were not too polite and professional? Maybe you never know. Yeah. Well, it also makes uh, walking your dog down the street past your neighbors a little more complicated when that's blown up in that way. Exactly. I would also just uh, observe that in my experience, and I think for most people, um, there's a tendency to be a little more free with uh, critical language by email than most people would say verbally in person. And so uh, just the, the, the possibility for the incidence of something to go sideways in that way seems to be significantly more by email. I agree. And, and I think, you know, the takeaway from this case is um, if, if it's not overturned by the California Supreme Court, 
it's law. And, and, and this means that boards can communicate by email now. I think that if a board um, decides to go forward with that premise and open up communications by email, it should adopt a resolution, a policy. And a good policy should really set very clear guidelines on what can and can't be addressed by email. I think that's a best practice. So they're going to be constrained by their own policy as opposed to legally, but that policy should have in mind how do they protect themselves from even some of the non-legal ramifications of, of what... Um, uh, email communication might might bring about correct, and it can be as as general as having a code of conduct as far as what is expected appropriate email yeah. communications to the topics um, to when to involve legal counsel to maintain an attorney client privilege. So it's not discoverable in yeah. litigation. So my last question um, on this topic is uh, related to executive session. Um, has it always been? And does it continue to be prohibited to make non-emergency decisions that are executive session by email um, with the consideration that homeowners wouldn't be invited to an in-person executive session? So what's the difference by email? That, that, would, that would be um, in violation of the Open Meeting Act because the, the Open Meeting Act is very clear in this case, emphasized it, that the provision for action outside a meeting by email is limited to emergency situations. So executive session doesn't matter in this case. Does not matter. Okay. Great question. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask about on this, uh, on this subject that I should have? No, I think we hit hit on all the high points. Well, I think that's very, very helpful. And, uh, I would suggest for everyone that, uh, um, it would be very worthwhile to get your own legal counsel to comment on how you might put into practice the, uh, the impact and the results of this, uh, this most recent uh, development related to board member communication and uh, emails for HOAs. So I hope that that was a helpful episode and we would encourage you to look for other episodes of The Uncommon Area. 